Tonight on Huckabee, Judge Janine on Radicals, Resistance, and Revenge. Comedian Paul Harris and Bill Gaither and the Gaither Vocal Band perform. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Gilbert. And now, here's... And welcome, everybody, to our show right here at the Huckabee Theater in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, and I hope you'll be joining us very, very soon. Boy, what a week it's been. I've got a lot of comments tonight, but something that is uh, certainly taking all the attention on every newspaper and television broadcast, and I want to just try to give you a very brief, simple explanation. As you know, Nancy Pelosi has announced earlier this week that there's going to be an impeachment investigation of President Trump. I thought that's what we've had ever since he got sworn in. Are you kidding me? First it was Russia. Then it was the Mueller thing, an obstruction. And then it was, now it's the Ukraine. I, I, I'm wondering, when this fizzles out, where do we go? I guess our next investigation will be, did Donald Trump ever, ever watch a show that was based in Hawaii, maybe that will be the next big collusion story. Who knows? But let me explain something to everyone, and this is what I want to do very, very quickly. This is not a serious attempt to impeach the president. This is, frankly, window dressing so the Democrats can say they're trying to impeach the president. Now, don't get me wrong. They're going to do everything they can to do it. But you got to have a reason. You can't just impeach a president because you don't like how the election turned out. And that's basically what we're dealing with. And the sad thing is, if this thing were to play out and they somehow could get 218 votes in the House of Representatives for an impeachment, you realize that doesn't mean he's thrown out of office. It then goes to the Senate. And the likelihood that the Senate, with a supermajority required, would dismiss this president is about 100,000 to one. So if you wonder, why are they doing it? It's just playing raw politics is why they're doing it. In the meantime, let me tell you what isn't getting done. While they're bothering with impeachment, we're not fixing our border. We're not stopping the killing of unborn children. We're not building infrastructure of roads and airports and bridges that we all desperately need, regardless of our politics. We're not dealing with the health care issue. We're not doing anything that helps us be a stronger country. We're not building our economy better. So I just wonder, would you as the American people really think you'd like to have more of the folks who are ignoring some of the real issues we'd like to have resolved and instead want to spend all their time just chasing down this president that they still haven't gotten over having won the election. That's what this is about, and don't ever kid yourself otherwise. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks. But hey, a week ago, hundreds of thousands of students skipped school to demonstrate for urgent action on climate change. Some said, we either act right now, or we're all going to be toasted into oblivion in less than 11 years. Some even said the world will end in just eight months. Now, folks, if that's the case, I think we ought to stop making house and car payments, take big vacations on credit cards, and live like there's no tomorrow, because by those standards, there's not a tomorrow. Now, for the record, I'm actually a conservationist, not an environmentalist, though. And there's a difference. And here's what it is. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I believe the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But I don't, nor will I ever actually own the stuff here. I'm a mere steward or a caretaker of what God created, and he will always own it. So since it's his and I'm just getting to use it, I want to take good care of the planet since it does belong to him and not to me. But I want to be blunt. I worship the creator, and I love and appreciate the creation. I don't worship the creation and think that the earth is my God. 
You see, I believe we ought to live by what I was taught in the Boy Scouts so many years ago. Leave our campsite in as good or better shape than we found it. But from the beginning, God told us that he made all this stuff for us. All the plants, the birds, the wildlife, the fish, all of it was created for us. According to Genesis 1, it was. And God said that we would rule over the fish and the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, and the creatures on the ground. So when I go duck hunting or fishing or hunt deer or turkey and put the meat on my table, I'm just doing what God told me to do, okay? And, and to quote God, it is good. Now, when young people and even some old codgers who are trying to scare young people, when they say the world is coming to an abrupt halt if we don't let the government start running everything that moves, sorry, but I ain't buying it. I think we could all probably live better, but the Hollywood celebrities who may have pretended to be scientists in movies aren't real scientists in real life. And I wonder if they care so much about the planet, how come they fly in private jets to Europe and attend a conference asking the rest of us not to fly, not to drive, and don't eat steaks or fire up the grill? Liberal politicians do the same thing. Al Gore and Barack Obama bought beach houses, which I got no problem with. I think it's fine. But I mean, if they think those homes are going to float off into the ocean any day now, either they're pretty stupid or they must think we are. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you something. None of this is new. 50 years ago when I was in high school, we were told that we only had 10 years or less. But it wasn't global warming that was going to burn us up. It was global freezing. That's right. And unless we let government take over pretty much everything, we were all going to be popsicles before the 70s were over. <laughs> every single thing, every single thing the expert told us turned out to be wrong. Now, we are doing much better at not polluting. We're making cars and planes that get better mileage, burning those fossil fuels more efficiently. You know, those fossil fuels that God left in the ground so we could fly to Hawaii rather than swim there. As I've said before, I'd rather live like the Jetsons than the Flintstones. And if young people want to give up their cars, smartphones, airplanes, and powered scooters and walk or ride a bike everywhere, including to school, then fine. If they're more worried about a plastic straw than an unborn child, I'll let them try to explain that. But I'm going to be blunt. I'm older than they are. I've lived through some stuff that maybe they haven't. I've heard all of the end of the world stuff throughout my whole life. And I will join them in taking better care of the planet. I got to be real honest with you. I'm not going to worship the creation. I'll just stick to worshiping the creator. And since he started the planet, I want to assure you this, that if he ever should decide to close it all down, the last thing I'm going to worry about is cow flatulence, a V8 engine, or a plastic bag at the grocery store. You know my first guest from her Fox News show, Justice with Judge Janine. Her new book is called Radicals, Resistance, and Revenge, The Left's Plot to Remake America. And it's already a number one bestseller. Would you please welcome a straight shooter and a good friend, Judge Janine Pirro. <laughs> hey, Judge, congratulations you, on a just gangbuster book already number one of the country. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, I have found amazingly that in this period of such fracture and such divisiveness, I mean, you actually can get a book to be number one in a country where it seems that overwhelmingly everyone is on the left and everyone is screaming. I, I want to talk about something that you spend a good deal of time in the book uh, discussing and amplifying, and that is the, the deep state. For a lot of our viewers who may not understand what in the world is the deep state. The deep state is uh, government workers who are essentially making the decisions that, you know, we always think that people at the top, they're all making all the decisions, but the deep state, the ones who are dug in, the ones who aren't going anywhere, they're pretty much deciding how things should be handled. 
They don't care what the rules are. They know how to circumvent the rules. They know what the loopholes are. And they get together and they decide what they're going to do. And the classic example was the effort to unseat a sitting president to frame him uh, by the uh, Comey and company and then to create an insurance policy in the event that he did get elected, which caused uh, two years of, of division in this country. And so the deep state is alive and well. It's part of the group that doesn't want to release FBI uh, or, or uh, information that Congress is asking for. They're resisting it in the State Department. They're resisting it in all the other departments by just saying no, no, no. And there's another person who I'm very, very, and I've had my concerns about him from the first time he testified before Congress, and that is Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI. I think he is very much a part of that establishment that isn't interested in justice, isn't interested so much in serving, you know, the people of this country as protecting the agency and the people within it. That's not why we send people to Washington. We send people to Washington to represent us, not themselves. Now, we spent two years, 17 full-time investigators, 30-plus million dollars investigating Russia. The Mueller report comes out basically... There's nothing there. I mean, there's not even really smoke there, even though the Democrats continually tried to believe that there was. Once that's over, now we're moving on to Ukraine. And the newest craze among the uh, Trump haters is uh, it's all about Ukraine. So why shouldn't we be worried that Ukraine is going to be the Achilles heel for this president? Well, I, I'm not worried it's going to be the Achilles heel for the president. Uh, the, there, are, there are two ways of looking at it. Will the Democrats finally say, you know what, we couldn't prove Russia. We literally, and, and I blame one person for their Russia mess, and that's Jim Comey. Because but for Jim Comey, the head of the, then head of the FBI, leaking some information as soon as he was fired, to his friend, who was a Columbia professor, to get to the New York Times, a special counsel would never have been appointed. So now let's talk about Ukraine. The number one thing that I want to say is that um, the whistleblower law, first of all, doesn't apply to the president. Secondly, uh, the individual who was making the complaint wasn't even one of the 25 or so people who was on that phone call because of course every time the president is on the phone there are about 25 people on and people from the foreign country as well as this country and none of them made the complaint but someone based on hearsay is making a complaint now, now assuming that there is no quid pro quo all right assuming that donald trump didn't say unless you do something about uh, uh, Joe Biden and his son and come back with some kind of report that is damning about them, then, you know, you're not going to get the money. No, the president as the chief executive of this country and the chief executive in any business can say was one of the people in my business, in my country, involved in shaking you down and causing you to dismiss a prosecutor for the benefit of his son. And the president isn't really digging. Joe Biden himself came out and said, I'm such a big shot. You know, I went over there and I had 1.6 billion hanging over their heads. And I said, you don't get rid of that prosecutor, who by the way, was investigating his son, Hunter Biden, uh, and the company that he worked for in the Ukraine. If you, don't, if you don't get rid of that prosecutor, then you're not getting American tax dollars. Well, Joe Biden, who are you to take our tax dollars and use that as leverage to protect your son, who, by the way, has no experience in energy, no experience in oil, and ironically, Joe Biden is the energy point person in the Obama administration. I mean, this stinks to high heaven. Well, you dissect it pretty thoroughly in the book, and people who want to understand what the deep state is and how it's affecting the way all of us live can get the number one bestseller, Radicals, Resistance, and Revenge. It's on Amazon, other fine booksellers. Be sure to watch its author every weekend on Justice with Judge Janine on Fox News. And you can follow her on Facebook at Judge Janine Pirro and on Twitter at Judge Janine. Now, we're just warming up tonight, and Keith Bilbrey is standing by. He's going to tell us what else is on tonight's edition of Huckabee. 
Well, just ahead, Bill Johnson reveals the power of loving your hometown. Comedian Paul Harris brings the last. Viral cooking star Hoyt Tidwell makes chicken and dumplings. And gospel legend Bill Gaither performs with his vocal band here on Huckabee. Welcome back to the show. Hey, isn't it time that you visited Israel with me? I mean, we've got a trip to the Holy Land coming up. Some folks in this audience obviously want to go. We've got a trip coming up this March, and I want to tell you the view over there is really great. Did you catch that? Is really, is really great. Okay. Come along and experience first-class accommodations, incredible sights, wonderful meals, and imagine having a Lord's Supper service at the Garden Tomb are singing hymns on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. If you're interested, go to thegreateststrip.com, get all the details. That's thegreateststrip.com. And don't you dare pass over this chance <laughs> to be with us in Israel this March. Okay, you got it. I think some of you did. Well, back in 1996, Bill Johnson became pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. Today, that church has over 11,000 members but it's making a major impact, not just in Redding, California, but all over the world. It, it's truly a model of how a church is supposed to meet the needs of people and how it's supposed to touch people where they are. Bethel Church has transformed an entire community. To tell us this amazing story, please welcome Pastor Bill Johnson. Yeah. Bill, God bless you. I have marveled at the stories of what your church and congregation has done in your city. Yeah. The police department was in trouble. They were gonna cut back the staff and it was gonna make things unsafe. What did Bethel Church do when the police department got in trouble and needed funds? Well, they were short, I think uh, $1.2 million, I think it was. And um, so we gave 500,000 from the church and then helped to raise the rest from business people within our community so that we could we could uh, keep that part of our, our police force still going. That had to have had a dramatic impact, not just within the police force, which I would imagine that if, if you guys call them, they come pretty quickly. I'm just thinking that that... <laughs> uh, but it had to have had an impact on people in the city who weren't even church people, who said, what kind of church is this that are bailing out the police department and making it safer for all of us to live here? Right. Well, there, it is changing, thankfully. Um, you know, churches are known for doing good things because they want something in return. And so there are people, we're still on trial in, in that uh, situation, but more and more of the community is, is realizing we actually do love our city and just are trying to serve and, and not get anything in return except just part of being a good citizen. When the big fires happened yeah, in California, yeah. it was devastating to it so was, many people. Your church gave $1,000 per family yeah. to those who yeah. had been impacted by the fire. I mean, just yeah. gave them money to help get back on their feet. Yeah. yeah, we made a commitment as soon as the fires hit. You know, there was about 200 homes lost or so at the time, 300. And we said, we've, we've just got to do something. So let's just, you know, it's right when school was beginning. We wanted the parents to be able to buy clothes for their kids that lost everything, uh, toys, food, uh, all that stuff. So we just made the commitment. And then it ended up being closer to 1,100 homes but we had friends around the country that heard and they just sent us money. They said, you know, we want to help you guys do that. So it was just a real beautiful thing. There was over a million dollars that you yeah. just gave in cash to families that yeah. have been devastated with the fire. What are some of the other things that, that your church has done and is doing? Um, the uh, Civic Auditorium, which is the entertainment uh, uh, building for our community, for our, our county actually, yeah. was going under. They uh, didn't have enough money to keep it, keep it going. So we volunteered to run it as a for-profit business if we could use it during the day for a school of ministry because we had run out of room. We needed a room that would seat 1,000 to maybe 1,500 students for our school. And, uh, and so they did. And now it's, it's working at a profit. They've asked us to continue to run it as a for-profit business. And, and so it works good for the city. It works good for us. So, yeah. Bill, do you have criticism from uh, atheist groups that say, oh, you're, you're mixing church and state. You're getting too sure. involved in the community. Is that a problem? Yeah, yeah, it's, the, it's there. But, uh, you know, if you, if you just love people and, and you don't, 
you know, you don't manipulate. You don't use your act of service to try to get something in return. Eventually, uh, the criticism softens. And uh, we've had a lot, a lot of favor uh, turn our way. Where did you get the vision? What was it inside of you that led you to build one of the most significant churches anywhere on the planet, but it's based on the idea of what the church is giving to the community rather than what the church is asking from the community? Uh, for me, it comes out of the Lord's Prayer, or we call it the Lord's Prayer, but he said to pray like this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no crime there. Uh, there's perfect order there. There's prosperity. There's happiness. There's wholeness. There's all that stuff. And so that apparently is his mandate for planet earth, and that's our assignment. My assignment isn't to fill a pews. My assignment is to have impact on the world around me. And so when we saw that, we began to really contend for that. Hmm. You're seeing lives transformed. I, I, my guess is, Bill, there are a lot of people yeah. that come to know Christ because they saw this church doing things that churches typically don't do, and they wanted to know, what kind of church is that? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. It's true. It's, it's just practical involvement with people's lives, you know, whether it's... Uh, the homeless or, you know, we, we've got so many great churches in our area too. And they're all doing such an amazing job that we love working with them. But it's just being practical and your love for people, you know, that the drug addict can be free, that the homeless can get restored back into a place of uh, practical community service. And, you know, the list goes on and on. But Jesus is pretty practical. Now, how did the church get involved in helping to create a, a United Airlines flight from Reading <laughs> to Los Angeles? Because that seems yeah. like... Yeah. an unusual sort of involvement. Well, yeah, our involvement, we just have records. We have you know, like 25,000 people a year that visit the church. Yeah. And they come in, we have records of how they get there. We have records of whether they fly to San Francisco or Sacramento, if they fly to Reading. And so we have numbers. And so we're able to go to United and say, listen, these are the numbers. This is how many people we have besides the other uh, industries in our community, the other churches, the other, the hospital and different organizations. This is what we have. And we need, uh, we need service from LA because San Francisco has weather issues. And, uh, and so they, they used our materials to, uh, to figure out they should send a flight from LA to Reading. So yeah, it was a privilege to be asked to, uh, to help to represent Reading in that way. Yeah. You know, people, I feel like must truly love Bethel Church and Bill Johnson in Redding, California, but you've sacrificed and served rather than say, here we are, come see us if you want to, yeah, but you've put, you've put the lines and the hooks and the bait in the water mm -hmm. and you've met needs and you've fed and clothed. You've done what Jesus did when he was here and what he tells right, us to keep right. doing. Yeah. What a wonderful testimony. I hope churches Thanks. all over America will try to figure out <laughs> if they can do a lot of what you're doing yeah. and will attempt to do it. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank Bill Johnson, you. thank you. What a joy to have you here. You. I hope you'll learn more about the incredible community outreach that's being done by Pastor Bill Johnson in Bethel Church in Redding, California. And you can join by visiting Bethel.com. You can follow them on Facebook at Bethel.Church.Redding. Also on Twitter at Bethel Redding. So many ways to connect to them. And you might just want to go to Redding, California and attend a service and see what God's doing and come back to your own church and say, we got to do better. It would make an impact on our country and world. All right, Keith, why don't you help our viewing community tonight? You tell them what's ahead. Next, the comedy of Paul Harris. Viral cooking star Hort Tindall shares a down-home recipe. And the legendary Bill Gaither joins us right here on Huckabee. And thanks for joining us here on Huckabee this evening. By the way, Mark Twain once said, get your facts first and then you can distort them as much as you please. <laughs> Unfortunately, these days, politicians don't even bother to gather the facts. That's why I hope you'll visit MikeHuckabee.com. It's the place where I bring facts into the issues of our day, and uh, boy, does it drive some people crazy. But while you're there, be sure to sign up for my free newsletter. That's right, it doesn't cost a thing. And you can also follow me on Twitter at GovMikeHuckabee as I use some facts to have a little fun at the expense of the politically correct crowd. And here's a fact. 
Mark Twain never invited anyone to follow him on social media. How about that? <laughs> well, my next guest is a Southern comedian who has been making people laugh for over two decades. He's performed everywhere from Branson to the Grand Ole Opry to bluegrass festivals with his hilarious four-man trio, the Cleverlies. Will you please welcome the very funny Paul Harris. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm tickled to be here. I'm from Arkansas as well, uh, from a little town called Fox, Arkansas. Uh, six people in my graduating class, that's the truth. I always get some smart aleck, were you the valedictorian? <laughs> uh-uh. It's in the top six. Strong top six. A lot of negative stereotypes about people from Arkansas. It makes me mad because I come from a normal family, had normal parents. I remember they got married, I was four years old. Because <laughs> my mom and my stepdad got married when I was four years old. My, my stepdad raised me up like I was his. He's a good man and a good dad. And I knew he's going to be a good dad because he's a great uncle. Not my uncle, you sickos. <laughs> my mom's uncle. <laughs> Technically, he my great uncle daddy is what he is. <laughs> He's a good man. I was raised in the country. I love to hunt, and uh, we eat what we, what we hunt, and uh, a lot of people find that to be uh, cruelty to animals, but uh, I'm against pet monkeys. <laughs> I am, I believe that's cruel to animals. But you know, I ain't gonna pass judgment, you know, as long as they eat the whole monkey. <laughs> no offense, monkeys. <laughs> People always say no offense after they've offended somebody. I never, I never got that because, you know, it's, it's meaningless. You know, you either offend or you don't offend. You can't unoffend. <laughs> ain't that right? So no offense, monkeys. <laughs> Recently, uh, a US, uh, member of the U.S. Uh, fencing team took a knee during the anthem uh, on the podium, and uh, that kind of left me perplexed because if the American dream is working for anyone, it's the one making a living sword fighting. <laughs> you know, what are you protesting? The system's working for you, Zorro. No offense, musketeers. <laughs> My dad recently sent me a text. Now, he just started texting not too long ago. The second text I ever got from him was, hey, let's take a bath. <laughs> let's play big chief, me, big bad chief. Immediately, this is true, immediately the phone rang, it's him. He's like, that wasn't meant for you. <laughs> I figured that. You want me to text it to mom? <laughs> and he said this. He goes, man, once you send it, you can't get it back, can you? <laughs> no. It ain't the Pony Express, Pop. I recently called tech support for my laptop, and a woman in a really thick European accent uh, goes, what's your name? And I said, it's Paul, in my accident. And she goes, hello, Paul. <laughs> I said, no, it's Paul. She said, I'm sorry, are you saying B as in ball? I said, no, I'm saying P as in pneumonia. I normally don't do, you know, controversial material. I, I don't do politics. Uh, no offense. <laughs> I really don't. I, I don't like, you know, making light of controversial issues because, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole myself into a corner with people, you know. 
Uh, like the transgender bathroom thing, I, I don't have an opinion about that. It was like I was telling the ladies in the restroom a while ago. <laughs> I said, I just worry about you. There's a lot of perverts out there. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm Paul Harris. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice to see you. Great to have you here. You are a funny guy, Paul. Well, thank you very much. So how did you get in the show business? Because, I mean, it's, it's kind of a long trip from Fox, Arkansas <laughs> to the stage of the Grand Ole Opry in Branson and all over the country doing festivals. Well, uh, there was a show in, in Mountain View, a kind of a mom-and-pop theater called the White River Hoedown. Yep, been there. Um, and uh, when I was in high school, they had a talent contest. I entered up and I won the, the contest, and the owner of the Hoedown uh, asked me to start working there every Saturday night. And then uh, my dream after that was to go to Branton because, you know, uh, Branton was in our backyard. Oh, yeah. A lot of theaters there. And um, so I went and auditioned for a show there and got the job, and, and I've been doing it ever since. You are a great entertainer, Thank and you. it has been a thrill having you here. I certainly want you to promise that you will come back. I would love to, yes, absolutely. we got to have you back. Now, I need to tell people how they can... Listen to more Paul Harris comedy. You can get it online on Spotify, Apple Music, and more. But also, if you want information on his hilarious band, go to thecleverlies.com or follow him on Facebook at The Cleverlies and on Twitter at the and then underscore Cleverlies. Get this guy to come to your community, your church, or your event and entertain because, as you can tell, you will have a great time. All right, Keith, we've got to keep the great guests coming, so tell us who's on deck. Ready for the best chicken and dumplings ever? Governor Huckabee travels south for the recipe from Point Tidbull. Then, Bill Gaither celebrates gospel music and an incredible new song. Don't go away. Deep down south in Tennessee, all the way almost to the Alabama border, there lives a retired Marine and his lovely bride. The Marine just happens to hold the finest recipe for chicken and dumplings the world has ever tasted. Not to mention a lot of other great Southern comfort recipes. Well, recently, I hopped in an SUV and I ventured down to meet this internet chef who has become an international cooking celebrity with literally millions of views where people watch him make the best chicken and dumplings that I've ever had. Here is my delicious day with Hoyt and Susie Tidwell. We are in Southern Lawrence County in Tennessee and I'm in the kitchen of Hoyt and Susie Tidwell. These guys make the kind of food that I grew up on and you should have grown up on it if you didn't. Well, you're about to find out why a lot of us love growing up like we did. Hoyt, it is such a pleasure to be it's here with pleasure. you and Susie. It's a pleasure to have you, Governor. You're going to teach us how to make real, real chicken, chicken and dumplings. Chicken and dumplings, yes. So not that junk out of a can. No, no, it's definitely not out of a can. All right, we're going to start with about three cups of flour, self-rising flour. And this is a quarter cup of pure lard. One cup of water. I, I've got my chicken prepared and ready to go before I, I get my dumplings, you know. But this is, a, this is a fun job here. I see you're doing it with your hands. Oh, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, you gotta have your hands. This is the way I was taught. Now you just busted off, what, a quarter of that? Quarter of it, there you go, quarter of it, yes, sir. Okay. Now. You want you want uh, the governor to roll that out? Oh yeah. I'm gonna have to put a little muscle into it, governor. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's okay, perfect. we're good there. That's perfect. Right. Now start cutting three quarters. Okay. This way, then we'll cut them that 
All right. Is that about the right? Well, you're a little large. But okay. You, <laughs> you, That's what my uh, wife says about me all the time. I'm a little large. <laughs> you got your broth boiling over there, right? Started yeah. on that? Yes. Your, your broth's at a rolling boil, and you put a few of these in at a time. Scoop them up. Okay. They're, they're you know, sometimes they stick, but most of the time they won't. But look at there. They're, they're, they're perfect. I mean. Good job, Governor. You're going to see here shortly. How the dumplings are done. <laughs> yeah, finished. The finished product. Oh, yeah. Let's get that stuff off the stove and eat a bite of it. What do you say? Right. Yes, Ooh. sir. This is what it looks like. That'll set you free right there. You can put in them after their chicken's there. And... But you didn't stir them up with something until they got to that until spot. Until I got the chicken in there. Yeah. Hey, somebody's oh, at your door. door. Yes. I'll let you go get it. your house. What is that? Come on in. Well, you know what? Oh, look who showed up. <laughs> Whitney Miller from MasterChef, one of the winners of MasterChef. Whitney, you must have come at a perfect time. I did. I came when all the work was done and we can eat. Right. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. Number. If one of the winners of MasterChef say that these are good, Hoyt, you know something? Oh, come on. You got it. You got it. All right. Well, let's, let's see. I'm, I'm ready. Me too. This is what I grew up on. I'm a Mississippi girl, so oh, I know yeah. my oh, chicken and dumplings. Uh, there you go. I learned how to make chicken and dumplings from my great-grandmother. Is that and right? And she lived she was 97, so she knew her Old school. Yes. Real deal. That ought to do it, Hoy. Wow. <laughs> you said you're hungry. <laughs> this is a, a YouTube sensation. How in the world did a guy out in Lawrence County, Tennessee, start making dumplings and become such a superstar. My granddaughters went to the Catholic school. The girl that was her age at the time was 13 years old, developed brain cancer. Mm. She'd call me Poppy just like one of my kids. So when she passed at 16, I took a pot of dumplings to the funeral. There were six women there and I said, here, I got a pot of dumplings for the family after the funeral. And I said, oh, your wife made a pot of dumplings, huh? I said, you're looking at the wife. <laughs> well, they went over and got them a spoon. Boy, they dug in. And one said, you should start make, have your daughter film you making these and put them on Facebook. Said, you could make some money. Today on Facebook, it's got 5.2 million. Yeah. <laughs> It goes on and on. I think I got about CNN hadn't had that many viewers in the last eight months. <laughs> Whitney, so it passes the Master it, Chef test. It does. This was cooked with love and full of flavor, just like I would have tasted from my great grandmother's kitchen. So thank you for having me, and thank this you, was Whitney. delicious. Thank you. thank you. I hope you've enjoyed the wonderful lesson on chicken and dumplings. The only thing you'll enjoy more is making it at home. So. Uh, be sure to check out Hoyt's website, hoytskitchen.com. Get the cookbooks. Get a bunch of them. Give them as gifts. You'll be the most popular person in your family when you hand these out for Christmas. We've got the recipe for those incredible chicken and dumplings waiting for you at huckabee.tv in case you weren't able to write it all down. And I'm going to tell you, it's worth taking the time to get it at our website. Also, if you like classic American comfort food that is a cut above everything else, go to Hoyt'sKitchen.com and get one of Hoyt Tidwell's cookbooks. I ordered several of them after I was at Hoyt's house. I got them for members of my family. You're going to love both of his cookbooks. His recipes really are that good. That is Hoyt'sKitchen.com. You can also go to Hoyt's Kitchen on Facebook, our Hoyt Tidwell Recipes YouTube channel and watch his cooking videos. It's a lot of fun. Follow along in his road to delicious home cooking. Now, let me also mention that the winner of MasterChef and Honest Taste Tester, Whitney Miller, she's got a wonderful cookbook of her own, and that'll take your meals up another level. You can find it on Amazon. Be sure to visit her online at WhitneyMiller.com. Well, you know, there is a little fitness secret about Hoyt's cooking. I burned 2,000 calories with his brownie recipe. <laughs> it's true. And by the way, that's the last time I'm going to leave his delicious brownies in the oven too long. That's how I burn the calories. 
All right, Keith, you're a Southern sensation just like Hoyt, so why don't you tell us what's coming up tonight? Well, next, Bill Gaither shares moments from his incredible career and the Gaither Vocal Band performs right here on Huckabee. Well, for over 50 years, my next guest has been topping the music charts. As a songwriter, he's written timeless gospel songs like He Touched Me, Because He Lives, and Jesus. There's something about that name. He is a musical trailblazer, winning enough Grammy and Dove Awards to fill his entire hometown of Anderson, Indiana. He's also inspiring. He's encouraging. And he's hopeful. I want you to welcome my dear friend, Bill Gaither. Bill, thanks for being here. Great to have you. Good to have you. So, Governor. Yes, sir. Before you start, you forgot I was a notary public also. <laughs> not for very long. <laughs> well, I had some stuff I needed to get notarized. Bill, I'm really disappointed. You know, one of the things that I, I think most people probably aren't even aware, the song, He Touched Me, one of the I mean, classic songs. People still sing it in church every week, somewhere across this planet. Yeah. But Elvis Presley recorded that in 1964. It won him a Grammy. Yeah. The only Grammys Elvis ever received were gospel. gospel. Yeah. Does that shock you, surprise you, or thrill you? Oh, I, I think it says something about where he came from. What inspires you when you write music? Because, I mean, you've written so many songs, Bill, that, I mean, they're, they're truly classic gospel songs. They touch, they reach, they speak to people in a way that no one of, of really the last 100 years has even approximated. You're very kind. It comes from a lot of different sources, you know, a, you know, a good sermon, a line and a prayer, maybe a, a, a prayer service where God really intervened in a real way in the woods, hmm. holding your baby. Hmm. You know, one of the lines of Because He Lives was inspired by our third child, wondering if we should really bring a baby into the world in these turbulent times. And we wrote How Sweet to Hold mm. Our Newborn Baby and Feel the Pride and the Joy that He Gives, but greater still the calm assurance. Our baby can face uncertain days because Christ lives. How did you come up with the idea of the homecoming series? Because that is something that, and, I, and I've told you this before, I have known people that if they are believers, they're very nominal believers. They don't show up for church hardly ever. They do not miss a homecoming. In all fairness, I really wanted to honor some, some of the pioneers in our field who had worked very, very hard and did it the hard way. We travel in nice air-conditioned buses now mm. with their own beds, bunks, and everything. They traveled in cars, slept in the back seat of cars, and did it the hard way. And Bill, when I see some of the careers that you've launched, Amy Grant, Sandy mm. Patty, Michael W. Smith. You're you, being you generous. Gave, no, but I mean, you help give these people platform. Mm. And, and now, you know, we know them so well. It has to be an enormous sense of satisfaction knowing that you inspired, encouraged, coached, and mentored many of these folks that ha have had their own incredible careers. You know, we are all like turtles on a fence post. <laughs> if you see a turtle on a fence post, he did not get there by himself. <laughs> he had some help. Somebody helped him along the way. And I am a product of that. I am only here because somebody else did it for me. Some of the new music is called Good Things Take Time. I mean, it's what we've just been talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the project. Good things take time. We live in an instant society. We want instant coffee. We want instant tea. We want instant success. We, real good things do take time. It takes mm -hmm. a lot of preparation, a lot of work, and a lot of study. And uh, Gloria and I are teachers. We taught for the first 10 years of our life. And... Uh, and we're still teachers. Uh, we just have enlarged our classroom, but every weekend with these kids who travel with us, they're all young and they keep me young. You know, we're trying to say, take it slowly, think it through, 
think on the long term. So this is one of the tunes on there, one of the new t- uh, tunes that we wrote. Good things t- take time, even though there are times when uh, it gets rough. Hang in there. You know, it's a beautiful message. I want to go back to the time you and Gloria teaching school. Um, I mean, I, I'm just, um, what was the turning point from being school teachers living in Indiana to suddenly finding yourselves impacting the world and literally gracing the stage of the largest arenas in the whole planet? Governor, as a kid, I wanted to do music in the worst way. And after I was out of high school, I tried to do it and failed miserably. It was the mm. best year of education in my entire life. When I went back to college, majored in English, and met this beautiful girl uh, uh, where we were both uh, uh, teaching school. But I never totally gave up my dream, uh, even though I wasn't out doing it myself. I was writing tunes, and the groups would come through Indiana. Gloria was a great cook, and we'd invite him in the house, and she'd feed him real well, and then we'd get around the piano. And I said, they've just written this brand new song. I was a great song plugger. I mean Mm. to tell you, after Gloria's food and me around the piano, it was a great, great time. (laughs) And peddled a lot of our early tunes. And the last three or four years of teaching, my night job overtook my day job. Mm. I hated to leave the classroom. I, Mm. I loved teaching. And I love to tell people we still live in the same house that we lived in when we taught when we taught school. We'll have it paid off next year, and we're and, and we're, and we're kind of excited about that. But to do it as long as we have done it, and have this much fun. I met a kid the other the other day at the airport, and the dad said, "Son, I want you to meet Bill Gaither." The kid looked at me and he said, "Bill Gaither, are you still alive?" <laughs> Well, I'm going to tell you something. Not only are you very much alive, (laughs) but we are so glad you are because you are one of the most beloved Americans. Thank God for you, Bill. What a joy just to be able to say, I know you. I mean that. Bob, Bill Gaither gets ready to sing. Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you how you can get your hands on the amazing music of this incredible, incredible gift from God. For Bill Gaither's Good Things Take Time, his fall touring schedule, and so much more, just go to Gaither.com. That's Gaither.com. The Gaither Vocal Band is about to get you standing and clapping with their latest song. Huckabee's back in 60 seconds. After the show, be sure to check out the Gaither Vocal Band's performance of Happy Rhythm on Huckabee.tv. And now, here to perform, this is the place, is Bill Gaither and the Gaither Vocal Band. Sing it out. Yes. 
Where we 